Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tab Geeks podcast. My name is Justin Nolan. I am your host and the co-founder of Tab Geeks. My guest today is Rose Layton, the strategic technology partner at Strata Education Network. Rose, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jesse. This week's topic is project management. But before we get into that, as our fans know, the first question we like to ask is, how did you get into tech? Everybody's got a different story. What's yours? I have always been a technical person. Um, I was the person in my family who always called tech support when we had a problem with our computer. I was the person who broke things and fixed things um, and took things apart. Um, My brother and I were very similar in that respect. Um, But I never really considered having a career in technology. And I went to school uh, at a women's college. And I was a women's and gender studies major. And I was studying to be an elementary school teacher, actually. Um, But my work study job was at the help desk. Um, And I worked my way from being a student technician to being a student technician manager. Um, So I was overseeing the other techs and dealing with like tier three escalations, um, helping faculty and staff in like emergency situations over the phone and in person. Um, Yeah. And so then when I left school, I didn't really know what to do because I had decided not to be a teacher. Um, And I got a job working at uh, a telecommunications company doing a lot of tech support, but also like uh, retail operations. And then um, from there, when I moved to Portland, which is where I live now, um, I was given an opportunity to um, work at a very progressive uh, organization doing um, like SAS IT, um, which is a, as I'm sure you're aware, is a fairly new field. Um, but it's really given me the opportunity to learn a lot of new things and, um, you know, to, to progress very quickly in uh, a field because it is so new. I love it. I love listening to answers to this question because there's so many different ways that people have gone down this road and everyone has a different experience. Now, would you say that your education background has benefited your career? I would say yes, um, especially because I was planning to work with, um, you know, six, seven, eight year olds. Um, and I've done some <laughs> like pre-education work, right, with toddlers and things. Uh, so I definitely have a, a higher capacity for patience. And also um, my communication style is definitely very different um, because I have worked with people who literally cannot understand the words that I'm saying, right? Children often don't know what things like, you know, software is. <laughs> oh, so, um, you know, if I had to explain my job to a child, I would use very different language. And I think that's helped a lot because we all encounter very technically challenged users or we just encounter people who have no idea anything about the field that we work in. And so, um, yeah, I think it's helped definitely a lot in that respect. I think that's a great analogy. I know that I definitely have a couple of users that remind me of my toddler. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I hate to, I hate to bash on users because um, I think everybody's just trying to get their job done. But, um, you know, it, it can be very challenging. Everybody who's ever worked in IT support knows that um, there's always a few people who, you know, either don't know that they're technically challenged or, um, do know that they're technically challenged and don't make a lot of space for that. And so, yeah, it can be very frustrating. Yeah, I know that uh, in my department, my team knows when I've got a, a challenging user because I sit down. 
you know that it's going to be <laughs> all right let's sit down and go face to face and take it one piece at a time and i feel bad for them because you know the the company that i work for is a um it's been around for four, over 40 years it's a very mom and pop style and we're leading the the digital transformation and the transformation of the company into a, a mid-sized enterprise and a lot of these mm-hmm. uh employees are just along for the ride and trying to keep yeah. up and doing their best and i to the to their credit i really haven't gotten very much in the way of no i'm not doing that i will be on outlook 2010 until i die oh my gosh please no <laughs> which they totally could have done and there have been a few of those however you know for the most part they they've kind of just gone along with it and i can see certainly how having a, a bit of a understanding in communication styles and and educating at that level would would definitely be helpful yeah and you know it's really funny because I find that the users who I would give those kind of like, I would make those kinds of concessions for, right? Like the, you know, the CEO, if he wants to be on Outlook still, like we would make that happen. We'd figure it out. But like, he doesn't care. Like one time he brought me his laptop, the F key was missing. And I asked him how long it had been missing. And he said, it, oh, you know, about six months or so. And I was like, why didn't you tell us? And he was like, I just didn't want to bother you. And I was like, Oh my goodness. If there if I am going to order a new key a laptop keyboard for anybody and install it, it is going to be my CEO. Like I'm gonna do it for a lot of people, but like it's just like little things like that where um I find that yeah, the user the users who want that kind of be- treatment these days and the users who uh, actually would get that kind of treatment these days can be very different. I have the opposite problem with my CEO. He will send me oh, little yeah. one line one line emails. They'll be like, hey, do this and this and this. And so my team will jump to it because it's the boss. And he's like, no, right. that was not a priority. I'm like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> your word, man. You're the boss. <laughs> yeah, you said it. So we're going to do it now, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's it's difficult because, you know, you try and prioritize this stuff. But if the boss says jump, you say, you know, how high, right? Exactly. Now, tell me a little bit about what you do currently at the Strata Education Network. And what is the Strata Education Network? Um, Yeah, so we'll start with what is Strata. Um, Strata is pretty new. It's a nonprofit organization. um, And they have basically uh, taken a large pool of money that they have access to and have set to work uh, fixing, I think, one of our country's great issues, which is that we have a lot of people who are underemployed um, or who have like stopped out of uh, various education pathways, right? They've gone to college and dropped out or, um, you know, they got a degree that is no longer relevant or, um, you know, they want to go back to school to do a career change and they don't really know how to address that. So Strata does that in a variety of ways. Some of it is research. Some of it is policy work with the government. Um, But one of the big things that's pertinent to my job is that they've also acquired uh, several organizations. So nonprofits, for-profits who do work in this field. And so, um, you know, we have everything from, you know, student support services and coaching to research groups to data like serious data analytics firms. Um, So we've got several organizations under our umbrella and my team supports just over half of those. Um, so yeah, so then my title is also fairly nebulous. Um, strategic technology partner doesn't really bring anything to mind when you say it to people. Um, but what I do is, um, like super high level SAS administration, um, and then, uh, researching, implementing, um, and supporting 
new software. So um, we've done a lot of changes to kind of consolidate our IT infrastructure in the last couple of years. Um, so I was, you know, a huge part of two uh, G Suite migrations, um, an implementation of Okta as a directory, um, lots of different um, projects, you know, ranging from, you know, getting rid of old file servers to remote desktop services and sunsetting a bunch of legacy stuff in order to um, kind of modernize and help everybody work together. We could have a whole podcast about just that. I'm currently working on sunsetting oh, yeah. some old <laughs> servers and and uh, file servers that we've got. We had a domain that until very recently was operating on a Windows 2000 server. Um, I am uh, remorseful to say, but I inherited yeah. it and it's taken me four years to get to the point where we could begin dismantling that infrastructure and, and upgrading to the future. Yeah. And I think that's the part of the problem with some of these legacy systems, you know, is a lot of times they require a very specialized set of skills to maintain and upgrade. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the benefits of moving to SaaS. And so the organization that I started in, Inside Track, is one of the child companies of Strata. Um, and they have no physical infrastructure to speak of. Um, you know, the organization is probably more than 80% remote at this point. And so like when I came into that organization, they were just on the tail end of having done all of that. And so I really got to work in that for about a year and a half before um, uh, our, IT, our, our IT team moved up to the parent company and started this work on a much broader scale. Yeah, two G Suite migrations. That sounds like a lot of uh, <laughs> user education. Did you draw on some of your education experience for that? Um, so fun facts about G Suite migrations. You can contract people to do that for you. And we did. Um, so most of the main user training was through our reseller um, and part of a professional services package that we got. Um, and we did that mostly because, you know, they do this kind of stuff all the time. They know what's useful to users. Plus, they have all of the documentation and stuff pretty much already. And so whereas it would have taken us months to compile all that stuff, um, that's why we decided to go with that. I actually just recently learned that uh, that was even an option to have somebody else uh, go in and lead the migration or, or at least do a lot of the grunt work. Like you mentioned, they've got a lot of that um, uh, a lot of that documentation ready to go. I wish I had known that was an option four years ago when I embarked on doing G Suite myself. I didn't even know that I was supposed oh, to no. or could use a partner because I went, well, we are trying to be, you know, uh, trying to save money. And I've been using Google apps since 2010. So I got this right. And it did not go right. that smoothly. <laughs> and then years later, or a year or two later, when I started going to Google meetups, uh, the they had the Google for work meetups over at tech corners at Google. And they're like, Hi, I'm so and so from this company where a Google reseller who's doing your reselling. I'm like, nobody. Well, who did your setup? Me. <laughs> right. They're like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, well, why? And they told me that that's just not how it works. I was like, oh, that I makes mean, I more don't think sense. It's not that, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's not how it works. I think Google but is you can do it yourself. Yeah, you absolutely can do it yourself. Yeah. Google, it seems like they want to, they kind of want to off, like offload that support to the resellers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, it is like it's super time intensive. Like we had weekly meetings with our reseller for, I don't know, almost six months straight to do two migrations. Um, plus like after hours work that they did for us. And um, in addition to like all the work we did to like 
um, you know, put together the lists of users and understand the data and put together our policies and all that stuff. In addition to all of that work, like the stuff that they did to actually perform the migration and to create the, the documents. And then, you know, we had, we contracted them for actual live trainings. So, um, you know, that's a whole thing that we didn't even have to worry about. We just had to show up. And I will say like, we definitely did some user education in addition to that, like one of our organizations, um, I feel like was very similar to yours. It was not a mom and pop shop, but it, it's been around for quite some time. And people had been kind of used to, definitely used to the way things were done on Microsoft. And so, um, and in Outlook in particular, and I did a series of one hour trainings for like four weeks for them, um, just to address specific topics that they were concerned about that we couldn't cover in detail in the other trainings. Yeah. User training is not one of my strong suits, which is why I've actually, um, set up to have somebody come and do a user training session at the tab geeks conference that we run coming up in at the end of April. So she does, yeah. uh, user education for AWS, but she's going to basically do a whole session on here's how to do this because a lot of companies of this size, you know, we're it people, we're good at tech. We're not always the best communicators and we're definitely, we definitely don't have a lot of experience in training. So, um, I'm really looking forward to learning how to do this right. Yeah, I think that's why we really created my department. So I'm like a sub department of IT, strategic technology. And it is specifically for things like, you know, proactively addressing issues. Like we're the people who form the relationships with business units. We're the people who identify the need for training and then perform the trainings. Like, um, and everybody on my team is highly effective communicators, right? We are people who have don't have a background in technology at all. Um, so like um, the director of strategic technology is has a communications degree, um, you know, and that's what he did or what he was intending to do once upon a time, right? But it's given him a lot of skills that allow us to plan for things like this. And I will say like, communication, writing communications, writing documentation. It's not my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> it can be incredibly tedious and incredibly boring. Um, but you know, I, I also am pretty blessed in the fact that, uh, usually if I write an outline for a training or something, I don't have to do much work beyond that. I can do a lot of it on the fly. Like I just did one today. Um, we're moving to a new phone system for one of the organizations. And I just did an on the fly 30 minute training with an outline that I wrote last night. Nice. You know, cause I've been using the software for long enough that I can do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're working on that as well. We've got a system that has been in operation for about 15 years. So the time has come. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. All right. So to get to our topic, which is project management, which we've been sort of dancing around for about 10 minutes now. What are, you know, some of the first things that you would do when you go into a project that you would um, advise other smaller teams, smaller IT teams to do when approaching a project for the first time? Well, it sort of goes back to how I just said I approached that training, right? Um, I wrote an outline. Um, and I think that is probably the number one thing we can all do at the start of any project is to work either, you know, whoever is leading the project or to work as a group, if it's a very collaborative effort, to put together an outline that includes a timeline. Um, and so sometimes organization, IT organizations will do this um, 
you know, really far in advance because they're looking at like a two year rollout of something. I'm not really talking about that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, we try to keep a pretty agile mindset when we do these things. And so like when I talk about a project plan, you know, some people immediately think waterfall, right? You've, you've mapped out all the tasks, um, that need to get done in advance. And, uh, you just go through those like a checklist and that's not really what, our philosophy is or my philosophy is more to map out like the high level items and say like this needs to happen and this needs to happen and this definitely needs to happen like these are the the major things and then go underneath all of those and say you know what considerations should we have what questions should we ask like what should we think more about through this process because that gives you a little more flexibility that as you go through the process, you can revise it. But it's also like the reason a project plan exists in the first place is just to keep you on track, right? To make sure every everything that has to happen does happen. Um, but then, right, the subtasks are all about like, you know, have we thought through every part of this change? Um, I will say, so I started doing project management for my department before I had taken any project management classes. Um, so now I've been through a project management certification course, um, and I'll be certified probably here in the next couple of months. Which course was that? It was um, a course actually taught by somebody in our L&D department. Um, she is project management certified by the Project Management Institute. So um, she teaches a course like once a year to like six or seven people in our organization. And so I applied and got in for the last cohort, which started like in October. I was hoping it was an online course that I could go and take. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think online courses are helpful. I think um, the the one thing about doing a more generic course is that um, it does tend to be very um, specifically focused on a type of project management. So most people in IT and technology in general have agile project management, um, which is um, based in software development more or less, um, and has its own problems. But the idea behind agile management, project management is that you can iterate over time throughout a project. Um, and so, uh, it really, the reason it works for technology a lot is because things change and, um, you know, you get new priorities and new, um, you know, sometimes something happens to the budget. Sometimes people leave. Sometimes people come in, right? And in waterfall, waterfall project management, it's really difficult to manage those changes. You kind of have to go back to the drawing board. Um, and so, Agile was created to reduce delays in in large projects. So, but what waterfall brings to the table is that it is really thoughtful. It's a very thoughtful process about how. Um, you know, knowing what you need to know up front in order to make a project happen. So I try to marry both of them. And the course that I took also like really kind of touted that um, in, you know, let's map out these things in the beginning, but let's leave ourselves open to some change down the line. Um, So for online courses, most of the time you either have to take an agile project management course or a waterfall project management course. And sometimes you can get just more of a general project management course, but you can't really tell until you're in the course what it's going to teach you. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. And now if you're trying to plan out a project, 
merging the two philosophies for project management, what are some of the things that you look for in the beginning? Because as you said, with agile, a lot of things can change and you it's designed to be more flexible as opposed to thinking about everything from the beginning. But how deep should you go in that initial uh, uh, outline session to figure out what is needed? Yeah, um, I think some of the most important parts, right? You need to know like who's going to be on your project team who your project sponsor is, um, which is usually like an executive. Um, now, when you're dealing with lots of changes a lot, um, you don't always want somebody on the executive t- side because, right, if your CFO is constantly the person sending out announcements for changes and blah, 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 like that creates a, a different kind of fatigue for your users. Um, so you don't really want the sponsor to be the same all the time. Um, we try to keep... So, so for sponsors, we try to keep the person who's going to be communicating or the person who has the final decision-making capability as the project sponsor um, because they are usually influencers in your organization, right? Like if you need um, this manager of this department over here to kind of get on board, right? They can be the people who have those one-on-one conversations. They're really there to intervene if things go wrong, right? To be the face of it. and to be the the person who addresses those issues. Um, So yeah, sponsors, the project scope was a big one for me. Um, Before I was doing more formal project management, um, we really had an issue with scope, right? If you don't understand what is happening in your project, um, you also don't understand when your project is complete. And so, um, you know, we would have these things where we would just end up with like these line item lists afterwards, right? The, the, the G suite has gone live, right? But we still have, you know, 20 or so things that we have to do. Not all of them are terribly pressing, but they need to get us get done at some point. Right. And if you define your project scope a little bit better, those things make more sense, right? Either they're part of the scope or they're not. Um, and so it helps define some of the urgency there. Um, resources is another one. Depending on your project, so some software projects are like from the very beginning, like researching and evaluating. Um, you need to know what your budget's going to be for those things, or um, you know how to negotiate your budget if there is not a clear number for that. Um, and then for like people, a lot of times forget to consider like human resources um, as part of. Uh, that resource part, you know, so it's not just about like, how much money is this going to cost us? It's about like, how many hours is going to cost us? Because that can also affect the method in which you decide to do your project. Right. So the difference between you doing that G suite, depending on who's involved, that can get really expensive. Right, right. You deciding to do your G suite migration by yourself probably took a lot of man hours, where you potentially could have paid somebody for about the same number of hours you would have spent doing that. And so sometimes it does make a difference. The choices that you make throughout the project, if you understand how much, how many resources and how many human resources, how many human hours we can allocate to these individual projects. Um, yeah, I would say, and then uh, the last one is your, your change management plan. So almost like a completely separate project unto itself, right? What's your communication plan? What's your cadence? Who's going to send them? What's your tone going to be like? Are you going to share a lot of information, a little information? Are you going to build documentation yourself, link to existing documentation, all of those kinds of things? Like, I I think a change management plan is almost a separate project, but it definitely should be outlined at the beginning. Yeah, I think, yeah, those are the key things. 
All right. So um, we talked about having your stakeholder, which I agree is very important, whether it's uh, one of the executives or a person who holds some some weight in in the various divisions that you have to work with um, is definitely important. And I've recently experienced this myself because we're working on, uh, as I mentioned before, upgrading our phone system from an archaic system. We're going to Google Voice because we're already in G Suite. So it seemed like a natural um, integration there. And mm-hmm. this is the biggest project I've done since bringing on, uh, you know, Google or G Suite in the first place. Was, of course, it was called oh, Google Apps for Work back then. But we have grown so drastically in the last three years that at the time we had 120 users and now we have 520 users. Yeah, that's a massive difference. When I first started out, I was like, all right, it is October. I'm going to knock this out by the end of the year. And I was so wrong. <laughs> so how yeah. do you avoid that? Well, you know, so that's that's exactly part of it is we were having these projects where we were like, oh, we want to do this and this is the approximate time frame. But then you get started and you get just like quagmired into this thing. Um, and so that's part of why I asked to take the project management certification course anyway, um, was because I was like, I need some skills to help with this because this is not the only project that we'll have to do. So, so that's part of why, you know, I did that, but, um, I will say some of the things going back to, you know, that very first thing that I was talking about, you know, when you make a project outline and you understand everything that's going to have to happen, um, in order to even get the project off the ground, like it can be a really incredible difference compared to like, Oh, I think I know. Right. If you just take the time to really write it down step-by-step, step, like in a Google doc or on a sticky note, I don't care. Um, what you like all the, all the major steps that you think are going to happen. And then just like brainstorm for like 20 minutes about, on, on, about each of those things. Um, to, get the sort of finer details and ask the questions. And then, yeah. And then we, that's why we do it as a collaborative process most of the time, because you can bounce the, bounce it off of other people and they'll bring up things that you're like, Oh crap. I didn't even think about that. You know, like I didn't even think about how, you know, basic versus advanced MDM was going to work with this thing or, you know? Um, so I think that's probably one of the big things. Um, and it really has, it's changed the way that I approach projects for sure. Um, because, you know, I, I think of it more as instead of just this, this one event that's going to happen, right. It's not just the go live. It's all of the things before that. Um, and it, sometimes you just have to adjust your timeline, right? Like, there have been definitely things where we got into it and we were like, you know what, this is not going to happen as fast as we thought we did because we're balancing these other priorities over here. Um, you know, most of us don't just do a single project at a time. Um, you know, we also have to balance our ticket queues and, um, all of the other sort of upkeep and maintenance work of our environments. And so, yeah, so I, that's hundred percent. The first thing, just sit down, brainstorm it, write it out, bounce it off other people, do it live. You know, don't just like plow right ahead because I think that's where you end up, you know, quagmired in these. I like the word quagmire. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, in these like bundles of like, how the heck did I get here? 
Oh, definitely. And that's certainly what has happened to me. I oftentimes will fall into what I've heard referenced as analysis paralysis. Um, you know, I'm sure ADD plays into that somewhere as well, where I'll just get so stuck in the details and just go into every little tiny uh, piece of whatever I'm trying to roll out and uh, forget about lots of other parts. So I, I think that's a very good point that you made about getting other people involved in the project to kind of bounce ideas off of them and say, Hey, you know, this is, this is how I would do it. How would you do it? Or, you know, what, what, what am I not seeing here? Cause I, as, as we've evidenced just by, you know, the stories that of how people get into tech and in the rest of business, everybody has their own experiences and their own story, which makes them approach things differently. Yeah. And one of the other interesting things is, um, so obviously I do project management in projects where I also am doing some of the work. And that is not normally how project management works, right? So very <laughs> formal project management, there's a project manager and they don't really do any of the work, right? They're responsible for keeping everybody organized, for making sure everybody's turning things in on time, for communicating to stakeholders. And that's pretty much it. Um, you know, and whether or not they do that job well is a whole nother thing. But um, that's totally not the reality in IT. Especially not at mid-sized or small companies. Definitely, yeah, definitely not. So that's that's definitely not what I do now. And so part of it has been, um, you know, when I'm when I'm thinking about the project plan and I'm putting my team together and I'm thinking about how I'm going to communicate, I really try to find places where. I will not be doing the work, right? Where I am not responsible for the product. Because that's also, as a project manager, that's also how you get like super stressed out. <laughs> oh, definitely. So, yeah, because you put the project plan together, you're in charge of all of these other things and all of these other logistics, and you have to make sure the work actually gets done and you're the person doing it. And if you're doing that all the time, then um, yeah, I mean, it's basically you're, you're burnout waiting to happen. So, um, Another reason why I took the project management course so that I could start, you know, um, making those boundaries a little bit clearer and uh, delegating is one of my biggest weaknesses. I'm terrible at it, um, <laughs> mostly because I have a lot of opinions about how stuff should be done. But um, yeah, so so learning to communicate effectively so that other people can do the work that is all just up in my head all the time, you know? Yeah. And, and learning how to delegate is huge. I'm working on that currently myself and maybe for the, for next year's tab use conference, we'll have to get a, uh, a delegation session. I do have burnout this year, but not delegation. That's a good one. Um, I, in my own department, I've been struggling with that because it was basically me doing all the high level tasks because that is the mentality that a manager is supposed to have in this company. Company. That's how it's right. been for 40 years. And I'm like, no, that's not how this is supposed to work. And so well, and as we're a manager, trying though, to break that mold. <laughs> yeah. And as a manager, you are ultimately responsible for those outcomes. But mm -hmm. the, the biggest, I think, and sometimes for some people, right, the most difficult transition to management is understanding that even though you're responsible for those outcomes, you don't have to be involved in every step of the process. And I know that like we've struggled with that on our team. Like we went from basically three people um, to now we have 11. And 
there's a lot more work to get done. And also like, you know, my VP, he, he can't be as involved as he used to be, right? He's a decision maker. He's a fire putter outer, you know, he's, he's our leverage card when we need it, but he can't be as involved in every step of the decisions all the way. And I mean, it started with meetings, right? Like he just wasn't <laughs> available to attend <laughs> meetings. None of us were. Um, and so, you know, you kind of have to start not attending all of them, but then you have to, collectively as a team, um, work to communicate better so that everybody is still as informed as they need to be. So it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge. And when you're growing, um, you know, that brings with it its own challenges on top of just the project management piece. Definitely. I'm going to have to uh, go back and and listen to exactly how you said it and then print it out and put it on the wall in my office about just because you're managing it doesn't mean you have to do each of the little different pieces of it. That's, that's excellent. Um, do you use any tools to help you keep track of all the project management, uh, software tools or just note taking skills or something? Well, yeah. So project management itself is, um, uh, like a whole beast in SAS. Um, right. There's like 15 project management tools in every company I've ever heard of. Um, and we're no different. Um, we use Jira mostly for tracking just our work in general. Um, and so, uh, we use Jira next gen, um, for better or for worse. They've added some things that I don't like, but, um, are you doing software yes. development? I thought that was mainly no. for development. Firms. No, no, no. It is, it is mostly for development. There is a software development arm in our company. That's why we have Jira. Um, uh-huh. and my VP is formerly a DevOps engineer. So, uh-huh. or a DevSecOps engineer. Um, so, so yeah, so Jira came very naturally to him and he taught our team how to use it. Um, but it is, you know, it's not totally uncommon, especially in places where, um, you know, uh, software development and product product is part of it or part of the overall technology department. Right. So, so we use Jira. Um, but I've also used, um, I use teamwork, which I wasn't super fond of. Um, but I'm, I love looking at project management apps. Like I'm really excited about Monday. They seem super forward thinking and like very flexible. So, um, Monday is doing something interesting right now. They're in the process of going 2.0. They're created mm-hmm. what they call work OS. Have you seen that? Yeah, I saw the announcement for it and I looked into it a little bit. It's very fascinating. Um, the interesting things about about these tools that are like trying to revolutionize our life, right? Like Dropbox just announced like a big change uh, late last year um, where, you know, they want to be the center of all of our, our work lives. And I'm like, okay, but not everything can be the center of my work life. <laughs> so... <laughs> right. You know, it's 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 a little bit fascinating to me to watch these tools do this because, of course, they charge a premium for that. Um, and honestly, I'm like G Suite is my the center of my work life. So if yeah, it doesn't I'm waiting for G Suite to release a project management tool or yeah. buy Asana, one or the other. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> yeah, I really honestly think they they probably could stand to acquire one, but as long as they acquire it, don't kill it. You know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't want that's something. The, that's like the one the thing graveyard. they're really missing. You know, they've got a lot of stuff. Great. They've killed a lot of things. Their chat strategy is all over the place. Don't even get me started there. Oh, yeah. But project management is like this gaping hole in their, for lack of a better well, term, because we just mentioned you know, it, their work OS. You know, the original project management tool was a spreadsheet. That's true, which they definitely have. And then they came out with, with yes. um, what they call it? Project Wave. Do you remember that? 
Oh no, no, Google I missed that Live. one. What was that? Two thousand eight, I think. Ooh, yeah, that, that, was that was where before, I was on G Suite for EDU back then. Yeah. So. Google Wave, and you can look at the googlegraveyard.com or whatever that website is that lists all the the things Mm -hmm. that Google has killed off. But Google Wave was the next generation idea of how we should collaborate. And it actually um, gave birth to a lot of the stuff that is in the modern today's platform, such Mm -hmm. as um, instant collaboration, where you'll be on a doc or in a sheet or the the real time editing. Well, they had Google Docs, but it was what it was the tool that introduced a lot of those next generation features. And there were Mm -hmm. a bunch of us that were like in love with this tool, but it was almost too futuristic. And I'm like, bring some of that ideas back. That is really (laughs) common. I will say that's really common for Google. I feel like in many there have been many cases where I felt like they were way ahead of the curve. And instead of just sticking with it. Um, or maybe, you know, adding in legacy features so that people could get used to it now. Um, instead of just doing that, like they just kind of kill it. And then like somebody else picks it up a couple of years later, you know, when the, the market is ready for it. And that's really unfortunate, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's no, no good tech goes to waste, which is good. But at the same time, (laughs) you know, I I recently learned that they had a a lot of things in the pipeline and they got distracted building out Google plus and pulled a lot of engineers to work on that project, which as we know is now dead. So it's like, come on, (laughs) just give us a project management tool. We'll be happy. (laughs) The funny part about, about G suite in particular too, is it, you know, it is specifically geared towards business. Um, it has a lot of the same features or the same features are available for consumers. So G Suite has this constant like push and pull from like, do we focus on the consumer side? Do we focus on the business side? And I think most most business users would say focus on the business side. Like the consumers probably aren't using all of these things they, they could possibly use. Right. So Google Plus right. was an attempt at a social network. Like, why are you getting into social networks, Google? Like, that's not your thing. Don't worry about it. People are using Gmail to sign up for Facebook. It's fine. Um, <laughs> nice. Well, I think they're starting to figure that out under uh, the the new leadership, um, mm-hmm. uh, both with with Sundar and um, what's his name, Thomas. I think it is from mm-hmm. uh, originally from Oracle. You know, I think they've realized that okay, we can build these awesome features for enterprise first, and then they'll sort of trickle down into mm-hmm. the consumer products. And if you look at their announcements and the way that they're building things out, um, it's starting to become clear that that's something that's really working for them. And and as both an enterprise user. And a consumer, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, and I think in some ways that's almost a win for consumers, right? Because part of the consumer arm, the way that that makes money is through advertising, which is a whole privacy thing. You know, we've all seen the news articles about it. So I feel like more and more, like if you start with enterprise, like we're paying you money to do this stuff. We're directly paying a you money. Lot not, of money. It's not third hand, and it's not generally it's not violating anybody's privacy in order to try and get it. You know, you're not trying to constantly track people wherever they are. And, um, well, for the most part. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a smart choice, you know, it's definitely not a bad thing. Um, because a lot of the stuff, you know, G suite users are often also Google users in their personal lives. Like I know I am, you said you are. And so, there's tons of stuff that I would see at work and I would be super excited to see it in my consumer accounts. Um, but if I saw it in my consumer account first, I'd actually be less likely to see it because my usage of it is just not as robust as my work. 
Yeah, totally. And uh, we could continue on this Google tangent all day. Um, mm, any of our uh-huh. fans know I'm a I'm a huge G Suite fan, Google fan. But I have, um, uh, I guess, the final question for project management is: How do you quantify success? Uh, <laughs> well, okay. I think I think there are formal ways to quantify success in a project, and that's part of the project's scope, right? So if you complete your scope um, and you complete it mostly on time and mostly in budget, um, I think that that can be considered a success. Um, more casually speaking, I consider a project a success if we don't have to do a blameless postmortem afterwards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what a blameless postmortem is? I know what a postmortem is. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's where it's also called an after action review. Um, it's basically like where everybody comes together and we outline what happened, um, what we could have done better, what we can do better next time. Um, you know, what, you know, could have been prevented, what couldn't have been prevented. Um, and it's called blameless because we're not blaming anybody um, for our failures. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so that's become almost an informal way that I define a project success. Um, I had had mostly successful projects, um, not you know necessarily led by me, but um, you know just in my work life over the last several years, and uh, I've come to realize that uh, you don't know what you don't know. And that that can come to bite you when you do a project, especially when you're changing legacy systems and stuff like that. Um, or in our situation, right, an acquisition, um, you know, there's a lot, there can be a lot of technical debt hiding under seemingly innocuous things. Um, so, yeah, so I consider a project this is a success if we don't have to do a blameless postmortem afterwards. Um, but I would say some other like, markers and indicators of success is, um, if you see an uptick in an uptick in support tickets, um, because ideally if you do your project, right, if you do your change management and your training and stuff all correctly, you shouldn't see a very high uptick in support tickets. There's always going to be some because people don't read their emails. No matter if you send six of them, they won't read any of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just, it's just a fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so I would say that's also a, a good metric for people to look at. Like when we saw the G Suite migrations, we saw a definitive uptick in tickets. Um, but more important than that, um, we saw them go back down. Right. So the users stopped struggling after a while and that's, that's pretty normal. Um, one of the things that they, we discussed in our project management course is, um, there's like a chart of productivity, right? And normal productivity kind of just goes in a normal wave pattern. You're more productive, you're less productive, whatever. Um, and when you do a big change, especially user-facing change, productivity is going to look normal at first, and then it's going to go down, and then it's going to go back up, and hopefully it goes back up to higher than it was before. And how are you measuring that productivity? Uh, so... <laughs> That would be, so that's sort of like the ticket thing, um, right? Because the ticket basically says like, I'm struggling to work right now. Um, or I have an issue that I need to talk to somebody about or something like that. Whereas I think individual departments can measure their own productivity. But I think the concept of that, right? That initially in a change, especially a big change, people need to understand that their productivity using a certain tool or um, you know the speed in which they connect to meetings or whatever is going to go down at first. And then it's going to come back up. 
And you have to be willing to weather that down phase. Everybody does. That's part of like being open to change and being, um, you know, being an adaptable employee um, or an adaptable human in general. It's just understanding that there is that dip. And so that doesn't mean that you or the team has failed. It means that this is a, a stage in the project. Yes. And so what I'm looking for at the end of a project or really just, just, just after a project is I'm looking for that upswing, right? I'm looking for, are the, is the ticket numbers going down? Are we seeing fewer questions? When I ask people how they're doing, are they giving me positive responses, right? Because in the middle of a huge change, like maybe a G suite migration, people will like, literally when you ask them how they are today, their responses will just be more negative than usual. <laughs> <laughs> if they're having a hard time with it, right? <laughs> because it's affecting their entire work life. It's a big change. And so what you're Talk looking about for taking is someone's temperature. Yeah. When you were, what you're looking for after the project finishes is you're looking for that upswing, right? People going back to being like, yeah, I'm good today. Or, you know, like we don't want necessarily, not everybody's going to be super ecstatic about every change. And so people aren't going to come out and be like, Oh my God, like I thought I was going to hate this, but I love it. Like sometimes it happens and it's beautiful and it's great. But what you're really looking for is you're looking for that temper temperature to go back up. We actually just experienced this with one of our beta testers for rolling out Google Voice. And uh, he went on the road and I said, great, here's a wonderful chance to uh, try this out. He's what a part of our legal department and uh, you know, he's not particularly tech savvy. And I gave him a Chromebook and a headset and I said, here's how you use Google Voice. Got him all set up with a phone number, the whole thing. And he went off on the road for a couple of days and he came back this morning and I said, so how did it go? And he said, oh, it was awesome. He's like, this this is just so smooth. And I'm already going like, can I record this as a testimonial? <laughs> and then he said, this is going to completely transform the way we work. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, if well, only I so could get everybody else to do to say that, I'd be in business. It's it's funny, right? Because in that situation, right, you set it up for him, you set him up for success, but you threw him in the deep end, right? He had to use oh, yeah. it. It was sink or swim. And I, I think that people are so hesitant to swim when you do that, right? They want to be overly prepared all the time. And I'm like, in this day and age, most of these tools are not that complicated. Right. If we've done our jobs, simple. yeah. If we've done our jobs and we've configured them correctly, you are going to have a brief learning curve where you learn how to do it, and then you're going to experience higher productivity. That's the point of it. So, I love hearing from people who are like, "Oh my god, this is going to completely change the way I work," because yeah, that's that's what I do this for. You know, I want to make their lives easier. But you do kind of, yeah, you have to throw them in the deep end and people have to be willing to be thrown in the deep end, right? Because not everybody is. And I feel like people, especially at companies like where I work, have been burned so many times in the past, whether it's been a few times in the past decade or past two decades uh, where, you know, there's been some kind of an upgrade and because it was old architecture or there wasn't a team large enough, it didn't go well, that they're terrified of trying to do something again because they're going to get in trouble for not doing their job because of this new system that is all shiny and great but doesn't actually help them do their work and as you mentioned their work productivity goes down significantly right after they start using it 
And Mm -hmm. I guess it's, you know, reframing that to make it be a part of the process and say, look, Mm -hmm. there is this time period where it is going to slow you down a little bit. But after that, it's going to exponentially uh, make things easier for you, as you mentioned. Yeah. And that's part of where that that executive sponsor piece comes in. Right. And getting getting buy in from your executives and your executives and your managers, because those are the people who are measuring the productivity, right? Those are the people who are keeping track of everything that needs to be done. But that's also why you don't want to plan a, a project willy nilly, right? Like if you've got, mm-hmm. um, you know, your financial year is closing, right? It's probably not a good do- time to do something <laughs> that is going to massively upset the productivity of the accounting team. Um, which is totally something I did last year, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> Oops. But, you know, it, it is one of those things where I think <laughs> we're not omniscient. And so we can't know everything. Um, so, for instance, like one of the acquisitions that I did, we rolled out a universal directory. And I spent so many hours cross-checking names and directory data and making sure everybody was synced up together the right way. And then it turns out that somebody didn't think that we would need to include the contractors. And Mm -hmm. so we had like, you know, over a dozen contractors on go live day who were like, I can't check my email. I can't do anything. And I was like, I don't even know who these people are. They're not in the list that you gave me. And they were like, Oh, we forgot about them because they're not employees. And I was like, I didn't, you don't think they need to use their email? Like you don't think they need to log into our systems? So it was just kind of one of those things where, you know, I could have been a little bit clearer when I was asking for that information. And but people could have also said, you know, like, oh, this is an IT change. It probably affects all users. I should think about all users. And so there's all kinds of like little nuances like that where, you know, things go poorly when they could have gone better. And it's mostly just because, you know, we're all kind of heads down in our own little productivity spheres, right? And but it does cause a much larger dip in productivity when you get those things wrong. So ideally, the dip isn't that bad. But yeah, it can be it can be very bad. Yeah, I I can definitely relate to that for our, not our directory software, we have a visual directory software where you can look up where people sit in the company, because we're very distributed. And uh, at the time that we built it a year and a half ago, um, there, we weren't using, uh, or rather, I should say, at the time that we built it a year and a half ago, we didn't have our any of our pretty much any of our maintenance staff or porters for the properties because we're a property management company um, in our system. They didn't have G Suite accounts because they didn't have email accounts before that. And they cool. were not up to the technological level of even having that. And I, and I went to HR and I talked to the CEO and I said, well, you know, what's the standard for communication with these people? How are you making sure that they get important notices? or uh, even getting an account to log into um, our HR product, our ADP. And he said, well, you know, text message. They, they operate pretty much via SMS. You send them a text, go here, go there. This is what you need to do. They do it. If they have a question, they call, right? And I'm just like, well, you know, that's great. But as we continue to transform the company into these new tools and you start using these new tools, they can't do anything really without an email. And so uh, it's been a couple of times now where that's come into uh, the light and come to focus because we've started doing these projects, building out these tools. And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, here's 150 people that nobody thought to think about. And they weren't in the visual directory as a result because they didn't have accounts. 
the visual director was automated based on who had email accounts. It's like, right. oh, maybe maybe we should actually give them email accounts. And mm-hmm. that's where we're at well, now. Yeah. And some the interesting thing about trying to automate some of these processes, right, is you're exactly right, is you're tying these things together and you're provisioning these accounts and you're, you know, syncing these directories up and things like that. Like you have to wonder who's not included in this, right? If I'm syncing ADP with my Jetplow directory, um, who's not in my ADP directory? Well, my contractors aren't. My, you know, we have some folks who we, I guess, yeah, they're basically contractors, but we treat them like employees, right? And then we have mm-hmm. vendors who we treat like employees. They have full email accounts. Um, you know, and we if we want those people in Slack, if we want those people in Zoom, if we want those people in G Suite, like we have to think about that before we automate those things. And sometimes even the people who are responsible for knowing that these people exist, right? Don't always think like, oh, like we also want these other people included. So yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge. And I think it's probably more and more it's gonna be important for IT to have strong relationships with just different business units, you know, and that's really why they created my position in the first place um, was because we were realizing more and more that like we couldn't be single-handedly responsible for all of this information. Um, but we definitely have to have solid relationships in order to get that information when we need it. And that's the next step in the process, right? Is I've heard the term for IT executives to get a seat at the table, things like that. But mm-hmm. it's more than that. It's about the IT department getting out of the basement and actually building and investing the time to create those relationships with the different departments in the company so that when you are deploying something like this, you have resources to reach out to and you have channels of communication to say, yeah, okay, this is what, you know, this is what we're going to do to solve your problem. And this is how it's going to work. And then they're able to, to really help you get it done. And then that brings these older companies into the modern era of collaboration and, and, you know, working together to make business better. Yeah. And I think, I think also, you know, they can be proactive too, right. With a positive relationship, they can come to you when something isn't working or if they have a concern about a change that you just announced, or they'll learn a little bit more about, you know, what makes the organization tick, right? IT is not some silo in an organization, right? It is the very foundation of it. And I think in some ways, you know, if we do our jobs well, you won't really know that we're there. But in other ways, we want almost the opposite of that, right? We don't want you to forget about us. Because if you do, then we're going to have more and more problems as we try to make some of these changes or modernize or automate, right? at scale. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the classic joke of IT being a thankless uh, profession is, well, if everything's working, what do I pay you for? And if something breaks, hey, what do I pay you for? You know? <laughs> right, right. And and you're right. You know, as, as the lean startup is, is famous for saying as the early part of the process is get out of the building, like go and talk to people, get out of your office, go and develop those relationships, sit at people's table during lunch and just say, hey, how's it going for you? You know, tell me about what you do. And, and at smaller companies, this is easier to do, you know, over over time to really get to know everybody. But the more that we as IT professionals, uh, especially as SaaS and, and operations of a business become managed 
managed by technology, the more we can understand uh, how a business operates, uh, the more we'll be able to assist and actually start turning IT less into a cost center and more into a partner and potentially even make the business some money. Yeah. And that's, um, I think that's a really fascinating philosophy for where IT is going, you know, especially when you compare it to some of the IT organizations that, you know, we work at now or worked at in the past, um, where, you know, things are outsourced and siloed or, um, you know, it takes three years to make any kind of significant change. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, I think, you know, we laugh about it, but like that stuff is still very prevalent and very common in a lot of businesses, especially in the United States. Um, and we're not even to the place yet where, you know, the government or, you know, certain industries like finance, the finance industry is moving definitely more towards the modern era, but like there's definitely a lot of other industries, right? Education in some ways, healthcare in some ways, um, and, and definitely government that, they're not even like, they're not even opening that conversation yet. And so, you know, when we talk about, Oh, like maybe it could be more than a cost center. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) you know, like where are you even going with this conversation? Because that doesn't even like, that doesn't even fit into the version of it and it infrastructure that they have now. I don't know. I think that's one of my goals in my career is to, um, be able to help an organization really go from kind of muddled in the in legacy infrastructure into um you know a very flexible distributed effective workforce excellent and i think that's an excellent place to wrap up because from the sound of things you and i could go on uh forever about this stuff forever forever <laughs> well folks continue the conversation uh by joining the tab geek slack community there's no sponsors no assholery allowed that's at tabgeeks.com forward slash slack uh rose is not on twitter but i am you can come say hello i'm mr j nolan on twitter TabGeeks is at TabGeeks, or come meet us in person at the TabGeeks 20 conference at the end of April. That's at tabgeeks.com forward slash TG20. Rose, this has been excellent. We're going to have to have you back. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we could go on all night, I'm sure. Well, we're going to have to do a, uh, a fireside chat with just the two of us at the next po- uh, Tab Geeks conference. How about that? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time on the Tab Geeks podcast.